welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit, charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will soon be live. Enough rambling. Let's get started. Today's guest, Sarah Petty, has been living with type 1 diabetes since 2005, and she's a past guest. She's a certified health coach, yoga and meditation teacher, and full-spectrum doula. These days, her work in the diabetes community primarily centers around peer support and sharing meditation through the nonprofit, the Diabetes Sangha. Sarah, welcome back to the show. And there's so much to cover since you were here. And it's been almost three years, which is crazy in itself. So where are you calling in from? Well, first off, thank you so much, Amber, for having me back, not only so that we can chat for the podcast, but so that we can catch up since- <laughs> That first time we spoke for your podcast, I feel like our friendship has just grown more and more and you've been such a special person to me these last couple of years. So great to, great to see you. And I'm just outside of Boston. So, and also in my car right now. So this is like real life diabetes at its best. So yeah, Sarah's in her car. We're (laughs) going to get into who is in the car with her and here in a second, but there is a purpose for this. So when you see the YouTube version of this, it'll all come together. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, so if people are new to the podcast, let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis story. Sure. I was diagnosed in 2005. So I was 15 years old. So I've been living with diabetes for this year will be 18 years. So I think that's pretty wild, actually, when I think about it. And now I feel like I'm in a stage of life where I've been taking care of my diabetes and relating well to it longer than those years that I spent really lost and alone, not really taking into consideration what I needed to do to best manage my type one diabetes. I really struggled not having any friends with diabetes or even family members. I'm the only person in my whole family that has type one. And yeah, I really had a hard time in the beginning, especially during those years in high school and, you know, going into my twenties, I felt like diabetes was a burden and something that I had trouble accepting and I didn't have the right foundation and the right tools to go forward in a way that would best support my overall health and wellness. So I struggled with insulin omission. So most people might know that as diabulimia. And so that was definitely something that played a role in those early years for me with diabetes. But I felt like once I had that first DKA experience that landed me in the hospital, it was like a light went off and I knew, well, I have to do something different. And the first thing I did was go online and start to try to find other people who might mm. be experiencing similar things as me. And and I found these really supportive communities on Facebook and later found more people on Instagram. And I feel like it's just blossomed into this beautiful opportunity to be part of both the diabetes online community and then the diabetes community in real life too, which is something that I, I just love being a part of. Well, and Sarah's connected me with a ton of people that, and I didn't know what diabulimia was until 
knowing you and a couple of other folks that have been on the show. And so I am so thankful that you're bringing awareness to this because there's so many layers to it and the diabetes things that are going on when it comes to mental health. And so we're discussing these things. And that's one of the reasons why I brought Sarah back, because since she was on the show in 2020, let's talk about some life changes. I don't know what the word advancements. I don't know. (laughs) Updates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was, I want to say it was early May of 2020 that we were chatting because yeah. I think it was Cinco de Mayo the day that we we talked. <laughs> so I'll always remember that. And today's International Women's Day, so I yes. feel like we have this wonderful <laughs> holiday tradition of of speaking for the podcast. But yeah, so 2020 at the time I was still working from home. I was here in my hometown of Weymouth, where I still live, and yeah, not a whole lot was going on except just trying to remain in touch with folks through Zoom calls and other online experiences. I was still teaching yoga, especially for the virtual slipstreams with Connected Emotion, which I I felt so lucky to be able to be a part of. And then in the fall of 2020, I was laid off from my full-time job that I had been at for many, many years. And that allowed me to have a little more space and a little more freedom to really reevaluate what I wanted to do going forward. And around the same time, right around my 30th birthday, I got engaged and that was really exciting. And I knew that, you know, we had hopes to maybe start a family soon, especially, you know, being someone that's gone through many years of diabetes, as well as some diabetes complications. Mm. I felt like my health was in such a great spot where it would be probably advantageous for me to try to conceive sooner than later. I've had signs of retinopathy in my eyes before, which I had at the time cleared up. My gastroparesis symptoms were doing pretty well. I could really manage it without experiencing too many flare-ups. And so instead of waiting, especially, you know, during the COVID pandemic times, we weren't really trying to plan some big wedding. So we ended up deciding hey, let's just get married. Let's just have our parents and our siblings and their partners there. Let's do this thing. So we got married. That was February of 21. And I was pregnant by May. So I found out like the first week of June. So it was like all the life things happened so quickly. I went from being someone that had full-time employment that was teaching yoga and always running around to, you know, being at home like we all were. And then quickly getting engaged, quickly getting married, quickly getting pregnant, everything kind of condensed into one year. So we welcomed our son, Angus, into the world last January. So his birthday was January 28th. So he just turned a year old and- That's my diagnosis date. Really? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, that is nothing Yeah, your diagnosis is the <laughs> yeah. same. Well, that's very special. It's a great date. <laughs> it is a great date. Okay. So Angus, okay. January 28th. So he's a little over one. Yep. And let's talk about, I want to start with, because type one diabetes can make pregnancy difficult. And so did you have any problems throughout your pregnancy? So I will say that I did not have an easy pregnancy for me. It was a particularly challenging time within my life, but really not because of diabetes. I actually found the diabetes management side of it to be incredibly easy. And and I don't want to say that in a way that would make anyone feel bad if they've Mm. had a hard time or if they have fears about that, because 
it can be very difficult to keep yourself in such a tight range during pregnancy. But my issues actually were really relating to one of my diabetes complications. So because I have gastroparesis during that first trimester, when many birthing people experience a lot of nausea and maybe vomiting, morning sickness, I ended up in quite a bad flare up when it came mm. to cyclical vomiting. And and I'm sorry if this is no, TMI for anyone that's got an uneasy stomach, but it was really hard for me after getting into that flare up to find a way out of it. I didn't have a lot of energy to do the things that I normally would be doing to help myself. I wasn't really doing much yoga anymore, which would always be really helpful for me during times of flare-ups with gastroparesis. And and also just, I don't know if I had the right support from my medical team that I was being Mm. followed by during my pregnancy to really utilize the the things that I know help me when I'm going through those bad gastroparesis flare-ups. So as far as diabetes management went, it was easy because I wasn't able to eat very much. So <laughs> I think it's that's so challenging if you're pregnant. I mean, because you're the goal is to put the weight on. I mean, I don't like those terms, but fueling your child. I mean, this is a big deal. So not yeah. being able to eat. Wow. And I want to touch on because of the diabulimia. I mean, as women, especially because I'm I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but your bodies change the way you gain weight changes, you have a pregnancy, you're young. So was it a struggle at all to put on that weight mentally? So I actually didn't gain very much during my pregnancy. And one of the things that I learned while being pregnant and really worrying about, you know, is my baby getting what they need? Are they going to be okay? Was that the baby is going to get everything that it needs. You're the one that's going to be depleted. So all those vitamins and minerals and it's it's not that, you know, I didn't know Angus was a boy at the time, but it's not that he wasn't getting what he needed. He was, but he was pulling it from me. So I was the <laughs> one that was really experiencing significant depletion when it came to probably some of the the vitamins and the minerals and the different things that my body needs to feel well. But in the first trimester, when I was feeling well, I really put my nutrition into overdrive as far as focusing on all the, the foods that could really nourish me. And I had spent probably about six months before getting pregnant, Mm. focusing on taking prenatal vitamins. So Mm. I was really trying to like boost myself up because I had an awareness that there would potentially be a situation where I might not feel well and not be able to eat as optimally as as I would want to. So really for me, as far as the struggle, connecting back to having experienced an eating disorder and then in the postpartum period gaining weight, Mm. that certainly has been a challenge, especially since I also received a Hashimoto's diagnosis shortly Mm. before becoming pregnant. So I had always had the antibodies, but it had always been subclinical where I didn't need medication. And I feel that since having Angus and one of my big goals with him was being able to breastfeed and being able to breastfeed as long as possible. So I still nurse him after his first birthday, we're going to keep going until he decides that he no longer wants to. And I'm very lucky, you know, my husband is the one who works, I stay home. So that's given me a little bit of space to be able to exclusively breastfeed. I know for some working parents, it's a little bit harder to have that goal. So I feel fortunate, but it's really been a challenge to kind of let go of expectations, let go of that need to 
be so preoccupied with the size or the shape of the body and just mm. kind of let it be as it is. Because even though I didn't gain weight during my pregnancy, my body still changed. You know, it looked yeah. different, even if the number on the scale was a number I was familiar with. And then now, <laughs> over a year postpartum, that number is certainly much higher than it used to be. <laughs> but it's something that I've tried to make peace with. And it really reminds me of those early days of recovery from diabulimia, where instead of thinking so much about how my body looked or how other people thought it looked, I had to keep coming back to what my priority was. And for me, that was having a better relationship with diabetes, yeah, fueling my body. And, you know, my priority these days, in addition to taking care of my diabetes, is being able to create milk within my body to nourish yeah. my son. And, you know, if that means that my body is going to be a little bit different these days, that's that's what that means. And that's okay because, you know, my priority isn't to be fitting into the genes of my dreams that are gathered <laughs> dust in my closet. And and then also, you know, it kind of gives you that lesson of, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. <laughs> and so appreciating in the moment who and what you are, because things change. Like if there's one thing yeah. we can expect with our blood sugars or, or yeah. with our lives is that, you know, nothing stays the same. There will always be change. And that's a lesson that I feel I've learned through life experiences, but yeah. also the connection that I have to my meditation practice. And so that's been a really powerful thing to reflect upon, especially lately. ask you too, because I, uh, two of my, my past guests, I want to say Bridget McNulty or Carrie Sparling talked about breastfeeding and diabetes. So how did, you know, since you're still breastfeeding, does it lower your blood sugar? What, let's talk about, have you noticed any patterns? In the beginning, I definitely will say that I noticed a lot more lows and I, I can't recall if, if it's because it makes you more sensitive to insulin or, or right. what exactly is going on there in the body. But I would say in those first 12 weeks when my body was working to regulate my supply, I did notice a lot more lows. Like I, I'd always keep glucose tabs or, or some kind of juice box or something yeah. really close to me. I had like this little basket of all the, the nursing things that I needed. <laughs> and in that basket included low supplies. So that was challenging from the get-go. But then once my supply regulated, which is is pretty typical for most women about the same time frame, I felt like I didn't really notice that much of a difference in my blood sugars as far as like dropping low went. Yeah. I'll be curious too, when you decide or when Angus decides he's no longer, this is not his food source. If again, your body shifting into something else, how that will affect your blood sugar, because it's a major change in your body and hormones. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, part of me wonders because I feel like it'll be a slow weaning experience. Like we're not going like cold turkey here. Like, all right, you're done. You know, we, we don't nurse throughout the night anymore. Like we used to, I feel like that's something that we did a lot of for a long time. I <laughs> certainly <clears throat> suffered a little bit, but you know, I'm sure you could maybe hear him back there. Well, let stirring. me, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, okay, wrap it up, mom. Two questions that I ask every guest and you kind of touched on this. So do you feel like you've received proper education, continued education about diabetes throughout the 18 years of living with it? Or uh, you're so hands-on, like, I feel like nobody needs to tell you what to do. You've got it, but yeah. How's your medical team evolved? I would say that I I don't know if I've been given an opportunity to really get continued education. 
<laughs> We've got a special guest, Angus. I know. Petty. <laughs> and and th- I thank you for bearing with me. That's why we're in the car today. But um, I've got one thing. I don't know about you, but I'm very food motivated. And I find yeah. my son to also be a little food ma- motivated. So I've got a nice little protein bar here. This is not only real life diabetes. This is what International Women's <laughs> Day. This is what my mom... <laughs> making it all happen. We started the podcast a little bit later than we had planned just because Sarah had to drive around the block. I was dealing with blood sugar and all kinds of other stuff. So we were both dealing with stuff that just a reminder that's ever changing and you either roll with the punches or you get angry with them. And so I, yeah, we're, we're both here. And, you know, as I, as I go to hand him something to eat, I'm reminded of, you know, how grateful I am that you know, I'm so used to feeding myself and, and there's the carb counts and, and yeah. thinking about the protein and the fiber and what a blessing it is to be able to hand off a, a snack and not have to think about his blood sugar. Like, yeah. you know, as a woman who experienced pregnancy, like I grew a whole human inside of me, including a working pancreas. Like I would say when yeah. I was pregnant, like, do you know that there's a pancreas that works inside of me? I just don't have access to its abilities. (laughs) But, you know, I really, you know, now that I'm a mom, I really do think about those parents out there who are caregivers for maybe a type one child or teen, you know, how much they have to think about. And, you know, you were asking about like the education I've received in, in the 18 years. Like, I feel like both myself and my parents really weren't equipped from the get-go with the right information. And, and thank goodness we live in the time of the internet. I feel like my mom and my dad too, they definitely explored what resources they could find online. Mm-hmm. But because I was diagnosed older, I really kind of took it upon myself to manage diabetes or to mismanage, I guess, in my case. <laughs> but I do have an endocrinologist that I see that I I really like, but her and I had been disconnected for a few years actually before I got pregnant. So I didn't I didn't reconnect with her until I was actually in the hospital about to deliver Angus. So Hmm. because of just kind of what happened with my diabetes and pregnancy experience, and because I'm so, and I don't recommend this to all, it just happened to work out in my favor, but I managed my diabetes entirely on my own throughout my entire pregnancy. Hmm. I did not have an endo. I did not have any kind of diabetes team. I I felt like I fell through the cracks in a way. I had tried to go to the Jocelyn Diabetes Center because I had heard such wonderful things. I had gone there as a teen and because it's such this world-renowned clinic, I thought, well, maybe I'll go there for my pregnancy. And as it happens sometimes, and I, I won't say any names, but I thought I was seeing the best of the best there. And our patient and doctor chemistry was just not a good fit. I did not feel like she was a supportive person or an understanding person Mm. or a helpful person. So I decided not to go there anymore. And it just so happened that the practice that I go to for my general practitioner, I don't know if this is true, like across the country. Um, I know I've had friends in Canada share that there's like an endocrinologist shortage, but I feel like- locally, there's not a lot of endos left. (laughs) And so this practice that I thought I could find an endo with didn't have any appointments until Angus was going to be born. So I'm like, well, what do I do? Like, who do I see? And you said it it really well, like you fell through the crack, you slipped through the cracks. I mean, that's, you can't, if there isn't a doctor available, I mean, what do you do? You drive 10 hours? Shit. Yeah. And it's confusing because, you know, 
you find yourself pregnant, especially if like me, like I wasn't sure how long it would take to get pregnant. I, I thought it would take longer. So I had started to set up all these doctor's appointments. I had made the appointment with the specialty program at Joslyn and, and actually got to that consult saying like, surprise, I'm already pregnant, (laughs) which I have found out happens a lot. (laughs) So I think that's probably why she had a bit of an attitude like, oh, here we go again. Someone else showing up to their consult, but they're already pregnant. You know, my A1C was great though. Like I said, I I know my diabetes well. I knew I was in a really good place and I felt confident that, you know, the outcome would be positive if I could just go forward uh, to the best of my ability. But when you're pregnant with diabetes, it's not a typical pregnancy and more often than not, you're labeled high risk. And so, you know, you might be seeing other people like you're going to need eye appointments that the average person might not Mm -hmm. be having during their pregnancy. And you might be seeing an OB and an OBGYN and then also an MFM doctor, which is a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And, you know, I had never been pregnant before and I had never had, you know, a close friend that I had kept in touch with throughout their pregnancy. So I guess I just really didn't understand Mm -hmm. like who I was supposed to be seeing and when. And so I knew I wasn't (laughs) presently being followed by an endo, but I wasn't really sure what the difference would be between seeing an OB and then seeing that maternal fetal medicine doctor. And so I think there was some miscommunication on their end too. And nobody called me. And I I missed out on a lot of care with an OB throughout my pregnancy as well. Which I felt like the fingers were pointed at me when that was realized by the <laughs> MFM team. And I'm like, hey, I don't, I'm just coming in. I'm making the appointments that you're telling me to. I'm showing up, you know, and I was I was so sick being sick every day that I just didn't, I feel like I wasn't firing on all cylinders enough to figure it out for myself and, and also just kind of feeling defeated. And it made me go back to those feelings that I had had of like, well, there's no one who understands Mm. me. There's no one who knows what it's like to have diabetes and gastroparesis and to be sick. And I just felt like that lack of support, which is why, you know, I so strongly believe in connecting with someone who was a doula, which oddly enough, right before I got pregnant, actually, after I got laid off, when I was reevaluating the things that I wanted to do going forward, based on all the other experiences and certifications that I had, you know, what was really speaking to my heart was being able to support women with diabetes. So I became a full spectrum doula, which really Typically, some people might not be sure what a doula is, like a doula, a midwife. Mm. So a midwife is a clinical position where they're actually offering care from that clinical point of view. So they right. might be taking your baby or taking your blood pressure, etc. A doula is someone that's in a non-clinical position. So someone like myself who is there to be a support person for someone that's experiencing a pregnancy or someone that's going through labor and is delivering their child or someone who is going through a postpartum period. And the program that I went to actually with that full spectrum covered all of the stages of pregnancy and postpartum, hmm. but then also had significant information about menstrual cycles in general, menopause, birth control. We even covered things like hmm. abortion and miscarriages hmm. And, you know, on this International Women's Day, and I know women aren't the only people who live in menstruating bodies, but, you know, just kind of connecting the dots there of like just how important it is to me 
the work that I've done over the last 10 years in the peer support space has really centered around women. And so I always am looking for ways to be a better resource for those around me. And so that's why I became a doula. And then throughout my own pregnancy, I really saw where a doula could be so helpful when it comes to being a person with diabetes. Absolutely. And we need more people like you, obviously, in the world, as I'm sure there's a shortage of people like what you're doing. I mean, I yeah, there's so many things there. And so that kind of leads into one of my last questions. And I know our time is limited. Angus is fired up is your current advocacy efforts and upcoming events because you are very active in the diabetes space and, and you've got your hands in just so many little things all of which are beneficial and I like I mean I love you to death and I love hearing about you're now you're continuing education and this or you're trying something new with this and this isn't working so you're shifting you're pivoting you're you know so let's talk about what's in the future yeah I mean there's always something brewing, right? <laughs> I feel like you and I are so alike when it comes to that. You know, I have a lot that I'd like to do now that I've gone through that doula certification process. And now that I've experienced my own pregnancy with diabetes and postpartum period, again, kind of pulling in some of those other areas of mm -hmm. my own expertise. I've been teaching yoga for over five years. I've been sharing meditation even longer than that. And you know, these are the things that really speak to my heart. And I have hopes of doing so much, but at the same time, I feel really called and really pulled towards giving my time and attention to my son. You know, this mm. is a period of his life where he really needs me and he needs yeah. to be given that time and attention and that extra care. I mean, I am just so grateful to be a stay-at-home mom, but that definitely comes with some challenges as far as having that time to work on your own projects and, and yeah. do your own thing. And so a lot of the things that I do by myself, I feel have kind of been pushed onto the back burner just a little bit. I am excited. I just spoke with a friend who her and I used to connect um, when I would lead peer support groups for women in person in the Boston area. For many years, we we were friends through that peer support group. And she just reached out to me because she's expecting and she's due in oh. June and she's local and we both live really close to each other. So I'm actually going to be supporting her and her husband during their delivery in June. So, That's so it'll cool. be, yeah, and it's exciting because, you know, I'd love to maybe consider doing doula work outside of the diabetes space just as a way yeah. to be a helpful person within my own local community. I feel like because of all the experience I have having to advocate for myself and my, and my chronic health issues, I could help a person in that scenario, be an advocate for themselves and, and yeah. for their baby, not to mention like bringing the meditation aspect in, you know, yeah, which is huge. great at sharing guided visualization and, and making people feel calm and relaxed. But I feel like, I feel like so much of the things I want to do by myself have to be just put on pause. If not yeah. just like, like I said, the back burner. And what I really appreciate is being allowed to be in community with the folks from the Diabetes Sangha. So friends of mine, you know, we started kind of the first iteration of Diabetes Sangha was back in 2020. Mm -hmm. I was involved with creating that weekly meditation through Zoom with yes. my friends, Sam and Brooke and, and this wonderful woman named Heather. And then once life started to happen and people were getting back out into the world, we kind of took a pause on that. And then while I was actually pregnant, another friend of mine, Peter, he kind of rounded up the horses once again, so to speak. And he's like, all right, like 
here we go. Like we're going to do this and we're going to do it big. And I have this vision, how we can, you know, have these offerings every day of the week and we can have special events and, and we can, you know, become a nonprofit. And in just such a short period of time, that beautiful team of leaders created just a special offering for the the type one diabetes community to bring meditation and, and yeah. contemplative practices, you know, involving a wonderful person, Brie, who I just, um, she's one of the facilitators. I have learned so much from Brie and just grown into this special thing. And I was lucky enough to kind of come back on board this past fall, kind of more officially, not just guest <laughs> guest starring in my own meditation, but, um, and that's thanks to the wonderful support of, of my husband who, you know, he comes home from a long day at work and he knows Tuesday nights, 8 PM mom's on zoom, dad and baby are in the other room. We got to be a little bit quiet for that. But I, I will say, you know, that being able to collaborate and to work in a group has been like super special to me. And I, I just appreciate that so much. And and I'm still leading my weekly peer support groups for women as well. Grace and growth, you know, you've been a wonderful yeah. part of our community. And we have a, a meeting every Wednesday night that we have been doing weekly for three years now, which is awesome. And I've and met that- so many wonderful people through that. It, I mean, like, especially during the COVID times when I was in San Antonio, that group and then the happy hour, like it was so what got me to the next day. I mean, it yeah. really is. And I love the creative energy that you have. I want to end with one quick question, especially when it comes to your pregnancy and your diabetes management, everybody's tools and management styles are different. So what gear are you using? These days I've got a Dexcom, a G6, and I'm using the Tandem, the T-Slim, which I love. I happen to love. It, it is hard. You know, some days I wish I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have an Omnipod again? Because when you've got a very active baby yeah. slash now toddler who's got flailing arms and feet and all, <laughs> all the things. And also, you know, we co-sleep. Um, he sleeps at this point many hours in his crib, which is in our room. But then, you know, he'll find his way into the bed. But as he was young, I know not everyone's comfortable with co-sleeping. It works for us. We were able to do it (laughs) safely. But I'll tell you, being like, all right, I've got the baby and I've got the pump and I've got the dog at the end of the bed. And like the whole, it's just like, oh, and my husband. And, um, you know, it definitely comes with his challenges. And, you know, sometimes I think about, you know, he'll play with like my tubing or my pump site. And I'm like, I wonder if he'll grow up like thinking like, every mom has a Dexcom or like, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to see like where his mind goes with all of this as he ages. And well, and I hope you document his questions with that because yeah, him that you are, I mean, I hate to say it like that, but that tool is a part of every part of you that he's known. I mean, so many things there. And okay. One last question for real is, and I've asked a lot of in learning about food deserts and things like that, considering where you live, I kind of feel like I know the answer to this, but do you have access to healthy foods, which means fresh fruits and vegetables within a two mile radius? Oh, definitely. And I, that's something that I, I try to be very aware of how, how lucky I am. I mean, I'm just south of Boston. I'm on the coast. You know, we even have just access to wonderful seafood, you know, if that's, ah, so if that's your thing, you know, I'm right, <laughs> I'm right here on the East coast. So definitely have a great opportunity to access healthy foods. And actually, you know, when I was living at my parents' house during my twenties, oddly enough, the two closest grocery stores in either direction were two different whole foods. 
one in one town and one in my own town, another town, you know, it's like, so I would always think like, wow, like, you know, some people are, are hoping and wishing that they had yeah. access to such a grocery store. And those are the two closest ones. And then, you know, we had the, the regular grocery store just a little bit further, but yeah, something I'm definitely grateful for. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you for coming back on the show and for always being so honest, because that's how, in my personal opinion, that's how people find their people. You know, you don't put on a fake facade and pretend to be something. You talk about the struggles, you talk about the wins as well, the highlights and and the challenges of being a, a mom. And I mean, kudos for you and all that you're doing. And I look forward to learning more about the diabetes sangha and all the things that you guys are going to be doing. So, and I'll be sure in the show notes that there'll be links to everything that Sarah is doing. And I'm looking at my notes just to make sure I didn't forget anything. And also the previous podcast episode too, because it's funny, not funny. It's exciting to see you in this next stage of life and you're doing a good job of rolling with the punches. (laughs) Yes. And and I feel like this episode offers so much more information, some similar (laughs) things, but also very different content. I mean, last time we were talking about cannabis and you know, that's something that I still, you know, have that knowledge of and yeah. experience with, but it's not so much at the forefront of, you know, my life and my wellness tools at this time, but it's definitely something, you know, if, if folks happen to listen to this episode and yes. then revisit the previous one, please know that I'm always open to any and all questions regarding all the wider range cannabis. of topics I may have interest in and speak <laughs> about, so... <laughs> I got to say really quick is yesterday, Oklahoma made the, did the vote on state bill 820, which was the legalization of recreational use of cannabis. It failed. That's a tough one. There's so many things in this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff changing in this country these days and not to get into a whole other topic. Cause I know we're <laughs> wrapping up here, but like an interest of mine, astrology, I know it's a little more uh, mainstream these days, but just, you know, using that as an explanation, it's like, why are we seeing so many of these important topics kind of come to the surface? And, you know, I think thinking of all of that is just like, we have this opportunity, anyone that's alive in the world right now, it's like, what are you bringing to planet earth? Like, what are you doing to make this a better place? You know, what is the platform that you want to speak about or, you know, the cause that you want to give those advocacy efforts to. And sometimes I'm just like, wow, like my lane was really chosen for me. I didn't know it for many years, but like that, that path of helping people with diabetes and figuring out where I fit in in that space, but just always wanting to encourage folks, you know, no matter who you are, what you've been through, what you do, like there's a way for you to make a positive impact on the world, on, you know, the country in which we live. And it's just kind of digging within yourself to know, you know, what you like to do, what your interests are and what you're good at. So. Very well said. Is it possible to see Angus before we wrap up? Oh yes, we, we can do that. Angus, are you going to (laughs) be a Mr. Grouch or. (laughs) Don't be grouchy. Hi. (laughs) He loves Zoom calls. So this might cheer him up. He's like, Did you just need a bar? I love Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> entertainment. Free yeah. entertainment. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah and Angus, for joining yeah, the show. Thank you, and, Amber. Uh, I hope to see you again soon on Grace and Growth. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk soon. 
As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I'm alive. One minor inconvenience. A little thing called diabetes is a daily grind and the daily grind. And it grinds and grinds and grinds and grinds. You got to watch what you eat.